Good morning. Welcome. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to see you. Uh, thanks, Chris, for that prayer. And as Chris said, I know many of you uh, here in the city, in the suburbs, you're involved in a lot of different things. And that's one of the reasons that we, every Sunday, take time to pray for our city. Because we believe that as a church, we are not just a church when we step in these doors on Sunday morning for this hour and a half, two hours that we spend here together. But we are a body that's moving throughout our city and we're involved in so many different things. And God is present in those things. God is with us there. And it's a wonderful opportunity for us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to bring the mercy and the message of Jesus to people and places that so desperately need it. We are continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Um, and as we have tracked through this teaching of Jesus, a teaching that uh, he comes back to over and over throughout his ministry. These aren't just things that he said one time and that was it, but these are themes that he continues to touch on, that he continues to come back to as he announces that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and calling people, inviting people to experience life with God under the rule of God. And as Jesus teaches, it's as if he's reaching out into a future reality and pulling it back for people now. And what I mean by that is, as Jesus is teaching and as we've seen, uh, as we've walked through this sermon, he's giving us a picture of what our future reality will be in the kingdom of God. That we will live with God, that we will live under the rule of God for the rest of eternity. But he's also saying, we can experience that now. We can have a taste of that now. And so much of what Jesus is talking about in this sermon has to do with relationships, the way that we treat each other, the way that we relate to people who are outside of the kingdom of God. We see a kingdom picture that is, is full of love and peace and justice. And Jesus is telling us that future reality of love and peace and justice that we will live in, that we will glory in for the rest of eternity. Eternity. We can begin to see that and to experience that now. And this theme that Jesus keeps coming back to that runs throughout this sermon is this theme of a greater righteousness. And he compares this greater righteousness to the righteousness of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day. And what Jesus is trying to get people to see is that the righteousness that God desires is more than just this outward display of do's and don'ts. And it's more than just this inward, quote unquote, spirituality, that it is a whole person righteousness, that who we are inside matches who we are outside and who we are outside is a reflection of who we are inside. That is the kind of life that Jesus is calling us to. But the reality is, and what we've seen over and over again, is that the cultural air we breathe today and so much of what's inside of us personally fights against that kind of life, doesn't it? 
We, we have so many things, so many obstacles to overcome, to get to and experience the kind of life that Jesus desires for us. And this morning, we're going to tackle another one of these things, and it's the propensity that we have to unfairly judge, criticize, and condemn one another. The propensity that each of us has to judge, to criticize, and to condemn others. And I just want to say before we move into this, that this is me. This is me. Uh, This was like holding up a mirror this week as I was preparing this. Because I have a critical spirit. I'm judgmental. I'm self-righteous. I'm prideful. And as I was working through this, this was, a, this was convicting for me, but, but I found great freedom in this, and that's why I'm excited to share this with you this morning. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, if you're using the Bibles around you, uh, you'll find that on page 474. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The first line there in verse one is probably one of the most well-known and misread teachings of Jesus, right? We've heard this. We've experienced this. Uh, We've heard it from people inside the church. We've heard it from people outside the church. And usually it falls in two camps. When we say, you know, Jesus said, don't judge uh, or, or you will be judged. It's used in either a reactionary way, kind of like you have no right to say anything about my life. You don't know me. Or it's used as an avoidance. Uh, well, who am I to say? Who am I to say that someone else is wrong? Who am I to point that out in someone else's life? So it's either used to react against having someone say something that needs to be said, or it's used to avoid having to step into a hard situation with someone else. And neither is what Jesus is talking about here. We're going to get to each one of those things, but that is not what Jesus is saying. So what does it mean when Jesus says, don't judge? What, what kind of judging is he talking about? The word here means to discern or to distinguish right from wrong. And that's a good thing, right? Like, like that, as we've seen in Jesus' sermon up to this point, he calls us to do that. 
There are times that that is necessary. Jesus himself in this sermon is distinguishing and judging and discerning what is right from what is wrong. So Jesus is not doing away here with wise discernment. But what he is doing is calling out an attitude of condemnation, an attitude of critical spirit of unwise and unfairly judging other people. And when we are on the receiving end of that kind of attitude, we know what it is, right? We know it. We feel it. It, We feel the coldness. We feel the harshness of it. It shames. It dismisses people. It discriminates unfairly. And when it is received, When we experience condemnation from others, when we are judged unfairly by others, when we are around people who have a continuously critical spirit towards us, it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. We feel it deep down. It hurts. And when people react so strongly, when we hear people jump in so quickly and say, don't judge me. You don't know me. Don't don't be critical of me. It's likely that they've been wounded by condemnation before. And before we just dismiss it away, and before we say, well, that's just the, the sign of the times, we need to understand why people react so furiously against being judged. And Jesus gets into this. Part of why Jesus speaks so sternly about being judgmental here is because it hurts other people. It hurts other people. And as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, so much of this sermon, so much of this teaching from Jesus is about how we treat other people. Look down at verse 12 of chapter 7. Look at verse 12. Something that we all learn from such an early age. This is, these are words from Jesus. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We know this as what? The golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But what's staggering about that, the part that we leave out is that last phrase, for this is the law and the prophets. Do you know what Jesus is saying there? Do unto others. Treat people like you want to be treated because this is the summary of God's revelation to you. This is the law and the prophets. This is what God was telling his people. This is what God is telling his people. This is what God will tell his people, that the way that you treat others matters to God. The way that you treat each other is important to God. The way that you treat others is serious business in God's eyes. When we judge people, when we are critical of others, when we condemn others, Jesus is saying that we are violating the law and the prophets, that we aren't living in the way that God intends us to live. When we condemn each other, it hurts people. But also, 
why Jesus takes this so seriously, why God takes this so seriously, is that when we condemn others, we assume the authority of God himself. We play God. We put ourselves in God's shoes. We pronounce judgments on people that, are, that is only reserved for God himself. We presume to know things that we don't. And we dole out consequences that aren't ours to give. Let me give you a few examples of this. In Romans chapter 14, you don't have to turn there, but I encourage you, if you haven't looked at Romans 14, to go there on your own time. Paul is speaking to a group of Christians in Rome, Christians that come from various different backgrounds. And he talks to them in this passage about how we live, how they are to live with each other. And this isn't just a teaching that Paul thought, well, maybe this would just be good to say just in case. That what was actually happening in this church were divisions and factions and people were, were at each other's throats over issues of food and drink what people were eating and what people are drinking. And Paul steps into this situation and says, look, there's a way to live here that is right. There's a way to live here that honors God and it's not what you're doing. It's not judging each other for what they're eating and what they're drinking. And in our modern day context, maybe we would focus more on the drinking part, right? We look at this and we say, there are people, according to Paul, who have freedom to drink a beer, to have a glass of wine. And Paul says that the tendency for those of us, if we fall into that category, is to look down on people who don't have that same freedom. Maybe because of their own past. Maybe because of alcoholism or issues in their own family. Whatever, for whatever reason, they don't feel like they can drink, they can enjoy a beer or a glass of wine for whatever reason. He says the tendency is, for those of us who can, is we look down on those people and we say, well, can't you just get over it? I mean, don't you live in the freedom of Christ like I do? Like, what's your problem? But then he says on the other side, the people who don't experience that freedom will look at people who experience freedom and say, well, man, you're a little loose. You're, are you really walking with God? That's not wise. And to look down and to make assumptions on people who, who do have those freedoms, those who don't, can't, they can heap all kinds of burdens and standards both ways. Both ways. And Paul says each group is assuming that they have the right way of living and thinking. Each group is assuming that God agrees with them. That God supports their point of view and not the other. Let me give you another example that maybe some of you can relate to. Probably the most underappreciated, overworked, and guilt-ridden part of our community are moms. Moms. And here's what I mean by that. Being a mom in 21st century America is impossible. It's a no-win situation. Moms, tell me if you have experienced this before. 
you send your kids to that school? You let your kids eat that kind of food? Your kids watch that show? You mean your house isn't clean all the time? You don't have a blog? You work outside the home? Assumptions about what being a good mom is. Assumptions about what it means to love your family. Assumptions about what it means for you as a mom to love Jesus. Standards that are placed on you that God hasn't placed. Standards that have been placed on you that our culture has elevated to gospel. I mean, moms, am I right? Like, have you experienced this? Am I off on this? I mean, I'm not a mom, obviously, but I live with one. And I recognize these things. What about for all of us, just what it means to follow Jesus? I mean, we live in such a weird Christian subculture, right? Like it gets weird sometimes, really weird. And we assume that following Jesus means certain things that it really doesn't. It means reading a particular author all the time or listening to a particular kind of music. It means spending two hours a day reading the Bible with our journal out and a really expensive cup of coffee next to it, neatly arranged so we can take a picture of it and put it on Instagram. That would, that's what it means to follow Jesus. That it, that it means that when you're not at a particular prayer meeting or you don't attend a particular outreach event that people start thinking, man, are they really serious? Do they really love God? I mean, maybe we need to have a conversation about this. And all of these burdens, all of these standards, this, this way of living in all of these different areas, people putting burdens on each other looking at each other and saying, this is what it means to do X. This is what it means to be this. Standards that God hasn't placed on any of us. But each of those examples that I've given you are conversations that I've had in the last couple of weeks with people. Experiencing guilt and shame. Feeling like they've been put out of the community. Pushed away from other people. And it's serious and it's debilitating and people are racked with guilt. And it's serious because those who are under the condemnation of others can't help but feeling that they're under the condemnation of God. When we condemn each other and take the position and the authority of God, we aren't leading people towards God. We're pushing them away. And that's why it matters to Jesus. Jesus is saying, you who condemn, do you want the same standard to apply to you? You who judge, do you want God to judge you in the same way? What are we to do with this? What are we to think about this? Why do we find it so easy to condemn each other? And I mentioned this is very personal for me. And so I didn't have to go ask somebody else. 
I had to look at myself and be like, why is it so easy for me to put others under a standard that God hasn't intended them to live under? Why is it so easy for me to condemn other people? Because I'm prideful. Because I'm self-righteous. I want to feel that my life, that the decisions that I've made, how to live my life, that the things that I'm trying to do to make me feel worthwhile as a human being, that I want to feel like those things are right. We all want uh, validation. We all want approval. We just got done seeing that in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says the temptation for us all the time as spiritual people, as religious people, as followers of Jesus is to do the right things so that other people will look at us and say, man, how awesome is he? Man, I wish I could be like her. Why? Because we love that feeling, don't we? We love thinking that other people see us as more spiritual than we really are. We love thinking that other people think that we're more mature than we really are. We love feeling good when someone looks at us and say, wow, wow, I love your life. I love the way you live. I wish I could be like you. And we use condemnation as a tool to control. We use condemnation as a tool to control. We try to get others to live like we live because it reinforces that sense of, man, I'm good. I've got it together. I'm living right. God looks at me and says, wow, I'm lucky to have him. I'm lucky to have her. When we unfairly judge others, it reveals more about us than it reveals about them. It reveals more about us than it reveals about them because it betrays what we really believe about God. It betrays what we really believe about God, that God heaps burdens on us, that God is just hovering over us, just waiting for us to fail so he could step in and say, yep, see, I was right about you. And so we put these burdens, we put these standards on ourselves because we don't believe we measure up, because we believe that's what God requires of us, and because we believe that and that's the way we live, we heap those same burdens and those same standards on other people. Look at what Jesus says in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Two quick things here. Jesus points out something that's very, 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 very true. Our condemnation is often directed most at the people we're closest to. Why do you look at your brother? The people that we're closest to, the people that we're in community with, the people that are our family. And it's simple, right? These are the people we spend the most time with. They're the people that we see up close and personal. The best foot is no longer forward. 
The, the closer that we are to each other, the greater the degree of friction that we experience, right? Things that were kind of like, oh, that's cute, now becomes annoying. Things that we were like, yeah, that was okay when we first met and when we were first getting to know each other. But now, I don't know. I don't know if I can live with this any longer. We look at the people that we're closest to and we direct that condemnation and that judgmental spirit. But also notice, what does Jesus say is in the eye of the other person? It's a speck. It's a speck. Now, Jesus could be making a contrast here with the log, you know, kind of to say like, hey, the bigger issue here with what I'm talking about is you and not the other person. But also, I think Jesus could be referencing the actual size of the issues that we have with other people, that they're not big issues, that we make mountains out of molehills. We, we take things that are just preference issues and we elevate them to conviction issues. We take things that we like and we prefer and we heap those on other people as standards of whether or not they are really spiritual or that they really love God or that they're really good people. We throw condemnation towards people over small and sometimes petty issues. The speck that is in our brother and our sister's eye. But think about it. Think about what Jesus is saying here. How can we see anything if we've got a two by four stuck in our eye? I mean, think about how ludicrous this is. And when Jesus said this, people probably laughed at this mental picture that he was giving. I mean, he's trying to be so crazy and so comedic here because that's what he wants to get across, that it's stupid to live this way. It's dumb to live this way, that when you live with a critical spirit, when you live with an attitude of condemnation towards other period people, you're an idiot. You are, because that's not really life. How do we know if we have a log in our eye? How do we know if we have a log in our eye? I used to think that this kind of meant, well, we shouldn't say anything to anybody else as long as we have sin in our own life. And I think that that kind of rationale is used by a lot of people to not enter into situations and to not speak up when there are things that we should be pointing out. When people are hurting themselves, when people are hurting others, it's like, well, man, I mean, who am I? You know, don't throw stones if you live in a glass house, kind of an idea. That as long as I have sin in my own life, who am I to point out somebody else? Well, if that's true, then we would never say anything to anybody for the rest of our lives because there will never be a time in your life or in my life where we are without sin, right? I mean, that may be news to you, but that's true. That's reality. That's what the Bible says. But what if the log wasn't all of these specific sins? What if the log was the condemning attitude and spirit itself? That Jesus is saying, as long as we have this two by four of condemnation, 
of criticalness, of, of just superiority stuck in our eye, we will never, ever, ever be able to clearly see anything in anyone else's life. One that seeks to control others because it makes us feel good about ourselves. One that hasn't experienced the love and freedom of God himself. If that is us, how can we ever claim to see anything clearly? Our minds are warped. Jesus is saying, how can you trust that you're right about someone else? Their motives, their intentions, their love for God, when you can't even see yourself or God clearly. How can we trust that we have the right perspective at all when we can't see ourselves clearly and we don't really know who God is and how he relates to us? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And you will clearly see, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's hard sometimes to know that we have that log, right? I mean, Jesus wouldn't have said this if this wasn't just a continual reality that we're faced with and a temptation that we so easily give into. When feelings of condemnation, when that critical spirit grows within us, we need to go to God and we need to ask him. I mean, Psalm 139, search me, God. Search me. Know me. Point out if there is any sinful way. Point out where is that critical spirit? Where is that attitude of judgmentalism? Where is my tendency to condemn my brother or sister? God, shine your light in there. Bring that to the surface. Reveal that to me. Why do I feel this way about this person? What does my attitude towards them reveal about me and what I believe about you? We need to go to God and we need to ask him, why? Show me, bring it to the surface. And we need to bring other people into it as well, right? We need other people that we trust to challenge our perspective. Other people that we know love us enough that when we're feeling this spirit towards someone else, when we're having that, that urge to just go and to lash out and to, to, to heap these burdens and these standards on other people, we need to go to those who love us and care for us enough to speak truth into our lives and say, hey, am I right here? Like, help me see this clearly. Is this a big deal or not? Sometimes speaking it out loud to God, speaking it out loud to other people, it drains the power of that critical spirit. It, it removes that attitude of condemnation and judgmentalism. We need to say to God, show me my heart. Show me what's going on here. We need to bring other people into it and say, am I right here? Like, give me some perspective because I'm feeling this way. And Jesus says when we are willing to do that, 
And when we ourselves are willing to go down the road of dealing with our judgmentalism, dealing with our condemnation, dealing with our critical spirit, then and only then will we be free to actually help one another, to actually help one another. Take out the log of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is saying that there is a better way, right? We're getting back to that idea of greater righteousness. It's not heaping burdens on each other like the Pharisees did. Holding people, each other to a standard because we think it's right, because it makes us feel good, because it elevates us in the, in the view of other people. Jesus says there's a better way. There's a more righteous way. There's a way that God desires because there are times when we need to speak into each other's lives, Right? There are times when we need to challenge each other. There are times when we need to call out each other. God has put us in a community together so that we can help each other see him more clearly. Amen? We are not doing this on our own. We are not a bunch of individuals trying to figure out how to follow Jesus by ourselves. We are here this morning. We are in a community of people this morning because God has designed us to help each other, to help each other. And we need to use wise discernment in each other's lives when it's necessary. It's like Jesus is saying, don't be so critical, but be a little critical. Don't judge doesn't mean don't think, right? Like the, the, pro, the prohibition here to not judge unfairly doesn't mean we just let each other do whatever we want. That we just let each other live in ways that are unwise, that, that hurt ourselves, that hurt other people. That is not what Jesus is saying here. There are times that we need to step into each other's lives wisely, lovingly, graciously for a purpose. And I want to close with this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. We need a model for how to do this. How do we as friends, as brothers and sisters, as people who share the bond of Jesus Christ, how do we as a community practice discernment with each other? How do we step into this with each other? And I think Galatians 6.1 gives us a beautiful picture of this. Paul writes, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. How do we step into each other's lives in a non-critical, non-judgmental, uncondemning way? First, we don't correct each other unless we know it's sin. We don't step into each other's lives with correction with sometimes rebuke, unless we know it's sin. And we need to assume it's not, right? 
In 1 Corinthians 13, in that beautiful passage on what love is, Paul writes that love believes the best. Love believes all things. We need to live in community with each other where we are believing the best about each other, where we are not assuming that we know things that aren't true. You see someone having a beer, you don't assume that they're a drunk. You see someone pull up in the parking lot with a new car. You don't just automatically assume, well, that person's not honoring God with their money. You don't make assumptions that you don't know are true. You honor God by honoring each other. You love God. And by loving God, it means that we extend that love and that grace to each other. We don't step in to correct unless we know that it's sin. And that leads us to number two, that correction is reserved for those controlled by God's spirit. Paul says, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual. The temptation is when we see someone, something that we feel is concerning to just jump in head first, to just go after people. But Paul says, no, you who are spiritual, the correction is reserved for people that recognize that God is God and we are not. That God sees things that we don't see. That God knows the heart and we don't. And that's why when we are concerned over something that we see in someone else's life, we have to pour over that with prayer before we do anything else. Go to God and ask for his wisdom. Ask for his perspective. Go to other people, like I said, and say, hey, this concerns me. Someone that you know, someone that you trust, someone that's not going to just spread gossip, but someone that you know you could say, hey, I see this and I wonder if I'm supposed to step into it with this person. Help me. Help me here. You who are spiritual, those who are controlled by God's spirit. Number three, spirit-directed correction has restoration as its goal. Spirit-directed correction has restoration as its goal. Oftentimes when we step into people's lives to correct them, we aren't thinking about what's best for them. We're thinking about what we want for them. We're thinking about how we can put our own standard on them. How we think they should be making decisions. How we think they should be parenting. How we should think they should be spending their money. How we think they should live. But Paul says here that the goal of correction should be to restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. It's not about controlling others or getting people to do what we want them to do. It's about helping other people experience the healing and the freedom that God offers. It's about bringing people into the light so that they can be healed. That's the goal. And then lastly, when we step into people's lives with spirit-directed correction. We're not shocked that they have sinned because we know ourselves. I am not shocked that you're a sinner. I'm not shocked that you're as bad as you are. You know why? Because I know who I am. Because I know what I'm capable of. Because I know what I'm tempted with every single day. And I know, I know that I can be right where you are. I can be right where you are. 
I can be experiencing the same thing. I know my own need for correction. I know my own need for correction. We don't assume a position of superiority. We could easily be in our brother or sister's shoes. And so with humility, we, we move forward into each other's lives. We, meet, we move forward humbly so that one another can experience the love and the freedom and the healing that God offers. I mean, isn't this the way that you want to be treated? Isn't this the kind of community that you want to be a part of? A community that doesn't heap condemnation and guilt on you, but a community that loves you, that respects you, that loves you enough that when there is sin in your life, that they come to you gently and invite you to experience the restoration of God? Isn't that what we desire? I mean, that is what Jesus is saying is true in the kingdom of God. That's the life God desires for us. And it's simple, yet radical, right? When we live in a culture of condemnation, we live in a culture that is just throwing shame around like it's nobody's business, where it doesn't matter who you really are, it matters that you speak out on this issue. It doesn't matter what you really believe as long as you post on social media against it. It doesn't matter what you do, how you spend your money, as long as someone else agrees with it. We live in this culture and it's the air that we breathe. And so when we talk about this, the kingdom ways, the kingdom life that Jesus offers, it's radical. And that's where we get to verse six. This is a confusing verse. It's weird the way Jesus talks about it. But he says, don't give dogs what is holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus was telling his followers here, listen, you have a responsibility to live like followers of Jesus, to live like you are citizens of the kingdom of God. You have a responsibility to tell others outside of that kingdom, to invite them to experience this life, but your responsibility ends with that, we can't be responsible for whether or not the world accepts this. We can't be responsible whether or not the world values our values, whether the world worships Jesus like we worship Jesus. That is not our responsibility. And Jesus says there's a time and there's a place. And <coughs> excuse me, we shouldn't be naive into thinking that everybody wants this kind of life. And that everybody is willing to lay down their life for this kind of life. And that's why every Sunday we take communion. We tear off a piece of this bread and we dip it in the cup because it's a symbol of kingdom life. It's a symbol that reminds us that we are living in a kingdom within another kingdom, right? This is not our home. This world is not our home. Over and over again, the Bible paints this picture of this world being controlled by the forces of evil, by the devil, ruled by the prince of the power of the air, as Paul calls Satan. 
but we are called to live as a community of hope within this chaotic world, a community of love within a world of hatred, a community of gentle respect and of reconciliation, a community that practices reconciliation and restoration with each other in a world that doesn't. And when we take communion together each Sunday morning, we are communicating to each other. We are a part of this together. We have been transformed by Jesus. We have been transformed by the love and grace of God. And because of that, we are a people that are free from condemnation. We are a people that have been reconciled to God. And we can live as people who don't condemn each other, but are reconciled to each other. And so I want to invite you this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, if that is true about you, if you are putting your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ to come and to take the bread, to dip it in the juice as a symbol of that hope, as a symbol of that life, as a recognition that, God, I did not deserve grace. I deserve condemnation. But you have offered me hope. You have offered me restoration. You have offered me reconciliation. And that's the life I live with each other. So come and do that. If you're not a Christian here this morning, the invitation for you is simply that. Do you want this kind of life? Jesus is offering that to you. And through simple faith in him, you can experience that. Not when you die, but right now. You can begin to live that life and experience that life right now in this community, in this body. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we are free from condemnation. We thank you that we no longer are required to keep a certain law, to keep a certain standard, to be right by you but because Jesus lived a perfect life and he died a death that we should have died and he rose again to live that we can experience life with you, a life of reconciliation, a life of restoration, a life of hope and a life of freedom. And I pray for us as a community that we would be a community that extends grace to each other, that doesn't condemn one another, that doesn't heap guilt and shame on one another, but because we know the freedom that we have in you, that we offer that freedom to each other. I pray that we would be a community that when we see sin, real sin in each other's lives, that we would not be afraid to step in, but that we would invite each other into a life of repentance, a life of faith, a life of freedom, and a life of healing. And I pray that as we do that, that you would make us a light to this world, that you would make this a community that people want to be a part of, that they would see that life in us and desire that life for themselves. I pray that as we glorify you inside this body, that you would be glorified in our community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.